Next Sunday, I'm going to be talking about miracles. And I encourage you, if you know anyone who needs a miracle or supernatural intervention of God in their life, we're not going to be weird. We're not going to be doing stuff like that. And we're not going to be begging people to give us money to get a miracle. We're just going to simply look at what the Bible says about miracles. And I just kind of, you know, we're not a big crowd today. We had a lot of folks out and people away at the retreat. But just from those of you that are here today, how many of you can honestly say, Pastor, I've experienced a miracle of God in my life? Would you hold your hand up high and just keep it there for just a moment? Would you look around you this morning? Miracles are not as uncommon as people would like you to think. Let's give the Lord a hand of praise for that this morning. Miracles are not as uncommon. Recently, I, I say recently, within the last three or four years, I had a conversation with someone who looked at me and said, well, frankly, I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't believe in miracles. And now they're at a point in their life and we're in conversation where they need a miracle. It wasn't but just a few years ago. It was about 10 years ago. I could tell you when. I have the whole conversation in my journal where a respected member of our community looked at me and says, listen, don't talk to me about miracles. I won't listen. I don't believe in miracles at all. And it was just about a year and a half ago this month, as I was reflecting over some things and getting ready for this service, that he called me and says, can we talk? And he told me, I believe in miracles, and began to tell me why. There is a God in heaven who loves you, and there is a God that is much more involved in the details of our life than we ever give him credit for. That's why we can never praise him enough. We can never thank him enough. We can never worship the Lord enough. Amen? So I want you to be praying for next Sunday's service, and I hope that you'll join me and invite somebody with you. But today, what I'd like to talk to you about is what I'd like to also thank you for, and that is how our church has been a light, how our church has been salt, how our church has been instrumental in the planting of other churches and the establishing of churches, building of Bible colleges and missionaries, sending missionaries out, how you have been salt and light, but how we can pray about how God can make us more saltier or more brighter. Maybe I could say how God can make us stronger salt and stronger light. There's times in my life where all of a sudden a light bulb will get dim and I'll go change that light bulb and I'll go down to Home Depot or Lowe's and I'll look for the brightest bulb I can find because I use that bulb for reading and I, it's my reading lamp and I want the brightest one that I can get there and Recently, some of the men in our church uh, replaced some of the lights in our foyer. And it's amazing the difference that those lights have made in our foyer and how much brighter they are. So I've asked myself, what could we do to ratchet up the saltiness of woodland? What could we do to amp up the light of woodland? What could we do where we see more miracles happening in the lives of people? And what would that look like? And what would that require? And so I want to go back to a passage of Scripture that I preached on before. It follows the Beatitudes. And I think most of us in here are familiar where Jesus talks about the blessings of being poor in spirit, where Jesus talks about the blessings of meekness. He, we call those the Beatitudes. And then he follows those teachings on the Beatitudes immediately. He says, but there are going to be people who 
persecute you for your faith in me. There are going to be people that will say things against you. They'll say all manners of things against you falsely. But he says, blessed are you when that happens. And then he says these words. So I'm going to ask you if you would to stand with me out of respect and reverence for the word of the Lord this morning. And I want you to read out loud with me this morning. Would you do that? You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot is worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Lord, as we have read your word together this morning, we have heard the word as we've read it, and we know faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of the Lord. So we've heard the word, we've spoken the word, and if you believe the word, congregation, say amen this morning. So Lord, we confess to you our belief and our conviction that these words that we are read, they're unlike the words of anyone else. They are the very words of God. You have said them about us, so therefore they must be true. We are the salt and we are the light of the world. So I'm asking you this morning, God, would you amp up the brightness of our lives? Would you ratchet up the saltiness of our lives? And would you use us in our community, in our subdivisions, Lord, in our jobs and in the spheres of influence that you've placed us, use us for your glory and for your honor. And may we see again, as we've seen in times past, the miracles of Christ in our presence. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. When I was a youth pastor for a while, we called our youth ministry the Salt and Light Club. Then we changed it to the Salt and Light Group. And then we changed it from Salt and Light to finally we settled upon a name that we called ourselves Sunlight. And what I taught our students is the same thing that I have taught for years, that simply to be salt, we all know that salt is a preservative. We all know that salt has to be a part of the community if it's going to do any good, just like salt has to be rubbed into meat if it's going to preserve it. We know what Jesus is teaching there, but I think if you want to put it in an active form, to be salt, to be salty for Christ is to live in such a way that we make other people thirsty for God. That our lives have this quality that because we're around them, they begin to develop a taste and they begin to develop a thirst for God. For 20 years, I have kept myself, when I describe or ask for a soft drink, I have kept myself from saying the word pop. Because I knew if I ever went back home and I asked for a pop, I was in for it big time. Recently, I went into a restaurant and I said, I think I'll have a pop. And as soon as that came out of my mouth, I felt like a pagan, a heathen, and a backslider. And I looked at that lady, and that lady looked at me because I'd been in there many times, and she says, I promise I'll never tell anybody you said that. And I said, it's our secret. Well, I have just let the cat out of the bag, and we will edit this out of the sermon before it goes on line today. 
But 20 years of living up here and hearing that and people saying that, it suddenly, without my even thinking and being conscious of it, a dirty word slipped out into my vocabulary. And as I said that word that day, I realized the power and influence of just living in a community. There's something about living with you and dwelling with you that you make me love Jesus more. But there's something about us that I pray all the time that in the community that we make other people thirsty for God, that people become hungry for what we're hungry for. Occasionally, my dad would put out salt licks, which were big blocks for our cows to lick, and he wouldn't leave them out there long, but when he thought they needed extra salt, he'd put it out there, and he'd pull them up, and I'd say, Dad, why don't we just leave them out there like other people do? And he said, because cows will lick their tongues to the root until that salt block is gone. They just can't get enough of it. And I've often found myself praying over you and me that there would be something about our lives that would be so salt and be so intense, such a seasoning in our community that people just could not help themselves. They couldn't walk away from having conversation with us. They, they couldn't walk away from wanting to know more about Jesus who has changed their lives. I taught our students, and I've tried to teach you the same thing, that to be light means that we shine God's grace and we shine God's compassion into areas of light and despair. Ronald Reagan was fond of quoting this verse of Scripture and quoting also from the sermon of a, of a pastor named John Witherspoon because America was meant to be a beacon of hope, a beacon of grace, a beacon of compassion to people in oppressive nations and oppressive countries, people who needed hope. But let us never let this compassion, this, this grace, this, this illustration that Jesus said of being salt and light, let us never let that just be used by a nation. That's our calling. That's our unique calling as the people of God. It's how we demonstrate and show to other people the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. I mentioned just a few moments ago before I took the offering that I asked that God would pour out His Spirit upon us because none of us have ever suffered in a way that people in the third world have suffered or been persecuted for our faith the way people in the third world have suffered. It takes the anointing of the Holy Spirit to live a life of salt and light. Recently, somebody was in my office and they said, Pastor, do you ever get tired of just trying to help other people come to know God? Do you ever get tired of being disappointed when you invite people and they don't show up at church? And I said, there aren't many weeks that go by that I don't have a heartbreak or that I don't call somebody and say, hey, you know, I thought you were going to be at Woodland this week. I thought you would be there. And there are times when, like you, I get discouraged too. I recently, with a Muslim friend that I've been sharing with and having breakfast with and times of conversation with, he kind of put a stiff arm up at me recently when I was trying to move our conversation along towards areas of faith, and I respected that. I'll always respect that if someone says no. One of my other friends from another religion recently said to me in a conversation as I was trying to move it that way, and he held his hands up right in the middle of the meal, and he said to me, he said, Dennis, don't try and convert me. And I stopped, and I said, you must understand something. 
Each of us, in our own way, are trying to convert the other person. You want me to see things from your point of view. You're the ones who initiated this conversation, so I'm not being defensive, but I'll never make an apology for wanting you to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and your personal Savior. But at the same time, I'm going to acknowledge that I know that you hope to influence me to see things your way. Am I correct? And he goes, well, of course you're correct, but sometimes I think you have an ability I don't have. And I do, and his name is Jesus. Can you give him a hand of praise this morning? And you have that ability. He's alive. He's living. He's not a philosophy. He's not dead. We can only do this. You can do this through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. It's not because of talent, and it's not because of persuasive ability. Even somebody with the skill sets and the giftings of the Apostle Paul, he said it wasn't through eloquent words, but it was through the power and the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. So here are some lessons that I have learned that I hope will help you as well as we look to the Word of God this morning, where Jesus tells us to be salt and light. Number one, all of us have to learn to live by faith. All of us have to learn to live by the faith we confess and the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. Time has convinced me, experience has convinced me, my faith must always be in God and not in people. I want to be able to have faith in people, and there are people that I have faith in. I have faith in Pastor Rick. I have faith in you, Tom. I have faith in you, Camilla, when I, people that I know and have done life with. But my faith in what we're talking about this morning, to touch a hard heart, to touch someone that's being defensive, to touch someone that does not want to become a believer, our faith is built upon Christ. Just like I know I will never enter the gates of heaven because of anything good that I've done or because of any message I preach, I will only be there because of the blood of Jesus. But never, ever, ever mistake and never, never question the fact of this, that experience always follows faith. Most of the time, people are hoping that the experience will come and then they will believe God. People all the time tell me, well, if I could see this miracle, if I could experience that, if, if I could have in my life what you've had, friends, you're getting the, the ox before the cart. You're getting the horse before the wagon. Our faith must be in God. God is always at work in our lives. We just fail to give Him glory for what He's at work in our lives for. God gives us the rain. God gives us the sunshine. God gives us the seasons. God is the reason you breathe the breath you have in your lungs today. And you may choose to listen to others that say, no, you're a product of evolution, or no, that's a scientific reason we can understand that the reason we can depend upon the laws of science is because God is the one that gave us those laws and gave us the minds and the abilities to discover those laws. So the miracles that transform, transform or transcend human experience, they come because we put our faith in God. So if you want to know what it means to be stronger salt, if you want to know what it means to be stronger light, 
then you've got to be willing, first of all, to step out in faith and to honor God. Sometimes that's in your business and making a decision that might be very costly for your business. Sometimes it's making a professional decision that if you make this professional decision, it's going to cost you dearly in your career. One of the members of our congregation refused to do something illegal because it would have cost them uh, their testimony. They lost their job because they refused to do something illegal. God brought them a better job. One of the members of our congregation met with me and said, I would like for you to, to be upon a board in our, in, our, in, in our company. And I says, what position do you want me to have upon your board? He says, we're creating a position on ethics. We'd like for you to sit there. And the very first meeting I had, they were breaking an ethical rules. So I stepped up and said, this is not right. And because of that, to my, my friend's embarrassment from our church, but also to the consternation of my very first meeting because I called the hand upon an ethical decision. I was asked no longer to be a part of the board. Friends, you have to understand that sometimes to be salt and light means you have to live by faith and you have to do what's not popular, but you have to stay, take a stand for Jesus because if I had compromised or a member had compromised, our witness would be lost. I would rather lose everything else but my witness for Jesus Christ. That's how you ratchet up and become stronger and brighter light for Jesus Christ. Sometimes God calls upon us to give a possession that we have, to, have, uh, to help a missionary, to help another family in need. Sometimes God may speak to you about going upon one of our missions trips and you say, Pastor, I don't really want to do that. Or maybe this morning God is speaking to you like God has spoken to me in times past about living a life more balanced in my life so that that my neighbors don't just know me because my taillights are always headed to Woodland Church, but I'm a part of my community. I'm doing life with my family. All I know is that if you want to be brighter light, if you want to be saltier salt, you're going to have to learn what it means to live by faith and to make some decisions that cost you something for the glory of God. If your faith is not costing you anything, you have not put yourself in the place to experience miracles from God. Look at what the Bible says. Let us not grow tired of doing what's good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Would you read that last sentence with me? At just the right time, we will reap, say it again, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. This is a powerful verse of Scripture. This speaks to me as a pastor. This speaks to me as a husband. This speaks to me as a dad. This speaks to me as a member of our community. It's possible to become very tired in doing the right thing. Hmm? Sometimes it's tiresome to bring the family together for family devotions. Sometimes it's tiresome to show up for that week of ministry. Sometimes it's tiresome to show up for Royal Rangers when you'd rather be home sitting in front of the television, watching television and relaxing because you've worked hard all day. And there's a voice in your ear saying, you deserve this. You know, nobody else is stepping up. You deserve. Sometimes it's just tiresome to be able to get the house ready for everybody to come over for a small group again. And you're thinking, can't somebody else do this for a change? 
change. Somebody recently said those words to me from another congregation. They called to gripe about their church. And I said, listen, why are you calling me? And I said, call your pastor. Talk to your pastor. They go, he told me that I needed to, to get my heart right with God. And so I said, well, tell me what you told your pastor. So I, they told me, I said, you know, your pastor's right. Get your heart right with God. If you're waiting on somebody else to do it, it's never going to happen. You're the man or woman God is called to serve in that place. Somebody say amen. amen. Because if you continue, you will reap a harvest of blessing. And that ought to be such an encouragement for every Michigan Wolverine fan in this congregation today. I can say that because it's a good year for Georgia. Keep on doing what is right, Peter said. Now he's writing to a congregation, their lives are on the line. Their lives are on the line. But he says, keep on doing what's right and trust your lives to the God who created you. For he will never fail you. And if you know that to be true, say amen this morning. It's how you ratchet up being salt and light. Number two, I'd suggest this to you. Pray for people persistently and passionately. Pray for people persistently and passionately. I know it gets wearisome, especially if you've had the same five people on your impact list. And for those of you who don't know what an impact list, I ask all of us to keep at least five people on a list that we keep in our Bibles or keep on our iPads and our reminder list or our prayer list, wherever we keep that five people who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior that you're praying for and that you're intentionally building relationship with. I mean, five people that you can say, yeah, I've had coffee with them. I've had a conversation with them. We're, I've somehow or another, we're doing life together. Because the longer you serve Jesus, unfortunately, the longer you serve Jesus, the fewer lost people you know and the more Christians you do life with. And we get comfortable doing that because it's good to be around people who share our faith. I need to be around people who challenge my thinking and challenge my faith. And so whether it's at the gym or whether it's at a club or an organization that you belong to or the school or the break room, sometimes you hear words you don't want to hear. You see things you don't want to see, but you're building relationship, but you're praying passionately and you're praying persistently for those people. One of the things that impresses me about our Savior, and one of my professors in college, Bill Gibson, told us, he says, one of the things that you can learn most in ministry is study Jesus' life, how he did life with other people. He says, constantly study his life, and you'll learn how to be a Christian. You'll learn how to be a pastor. And one of the things about Jesus that impresses me is that right, look at me now, don't miss this, right up to the very end, they're crucifying him. Jesus is still praying for lost people because they matter. Jesus is still praying passionately. They're torturing him. They're executing him. They're driving the nails in his hands. And he looks at them and he says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. And after he has died upon the cross, we see God answering that prayer. For when Jesus gave up the ghost after crying out and dying for your sins and my sins, there a Roman centurion looks up at Christ on the cross and says, surely this is the Son of of God. I'm telling you, dear ones, even after you and I die, there are going to be lost people coming to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior because we passionately and persistently prayed for them. 
And that is the critical key that I think is missing in the life of the church because especially in the Western church, we know how to do so many things so well that we can oftentimes do things without praying. We can do a ministry without praying, lead a small group without praying. We can pay our bills without praying. But friends, we cannot be salt and light unless we're people of passionate and persistent prayer. You'll never know what it meant to me as a pastor when I walked in this morning and Pastor Rick came back to my study in a few minutes and he says, Pastor, prayer meeting was powerful last night. People were not just praying, Pastor. They were really praying. Maybe I should miss more often, Pastor Rick. And uh, people were just really praying last night. Jesus said these words, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. You know what he was doing? He was praying as though the people who were crucifying him, their very lives depended upon his prayer. That's how he was praying. And may I suggest to you that the people that God has put into our lives, especially those that he's put upon our impact list, their very lives depend upon your prayers and my prayers today. Their very eternities are hanging upon the faith that we demonstrate in God. Sometimes when our children were growing up, and I knew they needed to be reminded about prayer, because we prayed as a family, but I always, especially as they became teenagers, Becky and I encouraged them, build your own faith, build your own prayer life, read your Bible, journal. Sometimes I would say to them what I'm going to say to you this morning. What if Jesus showed up in our family devotion tonight? And what if he said to you, I'm going to answer every prayer you prayed last week. I'm going to answer every, not every prayer you're going to pray this week. Matter of fact, I'm not even listening to those. I'm going to answer the prayers you prayed last week. Are there going to be things you're going to go, oh, I wish I'd prayed about this. Or I wish I'd prayed, I wish I'd asked for this. I wish I'd asked for that. How many of you this morning, you put up your hands and say, if Jesus would answer every prayer I prayed last week, everything would be Okay. Or how many of you would say, man, there are some things I wish I had prayed about last week. Could I see your hands? Sure, all across the building. Some things I wish, you know, and it's those things that we wish we had prayed about. Those are the things of the pressing things that the Holy Spirit is calling our minds to. It's those things right now. I want you to be aware of the work of the Holy Spirit because normally I wouldn't have asked you a question that I just used with my children growing up. But that's what God is doing. He's stirring your heart right now to understand the power and the persistence of your prayer. We're going to call him this morning Charlie. That's not his name. But a man in our community that I have been witnessing to and witnessing to. And sometimes the Holy Spirit will do these things for you. I can't explain it. and It's a step of faith. But I knew Charlie... I've got his real name written right down here in my notes, and they're not in the, on the, uh, the app. you got the outline on the app, but I've got his real name just to remind me. But one day the Holy Spirit stirred me and said, you've got to talk to Charlie today. Talk to him today. And there was an urgency about that that I, I had at that time. I had Norma cancel all my afternoon appointments, and I said, Charlie, I have to see you today. 
And Charlie said, I've got things. I said, Charlie, I've got to see you today. And when I met with Charlie, I took his hands and cried. And I said, Charlie, you've got to give your life to Jesus. Your eternity depends upon it. Your life depends upon it. Charlie, today, you've got to give your life to Jesus. And Charlie began to cry and his shoulders began to sob and Charlie confessed his sins and he invited Jesus Christ into his life. And I'm sure that the urgency of my spirit must have scared him or frightened him, but there was something real that this businessman had to give his life to Jesus. And next week, I preached Charlie's funeral because Charlie dropped dead of a heart attack. I am telling you, there are people whose very lives depend upon the prayers that you and I are praying today. And we have to take this. If we want our lives to be salty, we want our lives to be brilliant for Christ. For the Bible says, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful, wonderful results. Could I ask you to do something right now for just a moment? Would you just close your eyes and would you bow your heads And would you say, Lord, would you bring to my mind right now things and people I need to be praying about? And I'm going to give you a moment just to write it down, put it in your phone, put it on your notes that you're taking this morning, but just take a moment and wait upon God. Now, Look at me for just a moment. If you put a name down, if you wrote a name down, or for somebody came to mind, you haven't wrote it down yet, start praying. Start praying, and then think about what would happen if you just called that person this week. Maybe if they live out of town, you send them an email, or you send them a card, but what would happen this week if you called that person? I've got two people on my mind right now that I will call and I will contact this week. Now, I probably won't be able to, to have coffee with them until, until the end of the week, but I will make an effort to try and get with them. Can I ask you a question? How many of you will try to do the same thing this week? Can I see your hand? Lift it up high. I want to see it. You see, if, if this many contacts come from this church this week, somebody is probably going to come to know Jesus Christ. Can we give him a hand of praise for that? I believe that. Somebody's probably going to get to come to Now, don't try to have an experience like I had. I didn't ask for that. I, I, matter of fact, it was uncomfortable. Charlie, I got to see you this week. But just be open to how the Holy Spirit wants to work in you. Just simply say to them, you know what? This weekend... In church, you can just say, this weekend in church, your name came to mind, and I just thought I'd give you a call. You know, things are going well with my family and I, my wife and I love each other, our kids are doing well, and they're going to say to you, wow, it's great, here's what's going on in my life, and then they may say, well, why did you call? And just say, hey, I thought maybe we could get together for a cup of coffee, or we could Skype together. Just begin to build a relationship Because salt is not salt unless it's in the community. And light is not light unless it's shining into dark areas of despair where grace and compassion are needed. Can you say amen? Well, thirdly this morning is help people get past their doubts. Help people get past their doubts. Jesus was not bothered by questions. And neither should we. Matter of fact, it seems to me Jesus welcomed questions and 
sometimes Jesus would actually invite more questions. He would ask for questions. As a matter of fact, I'm just going to be honest with you. I've been serving the Lord for a long time, but I still have questions about a lot of things. Sometimes I will be reading something in the Bible and I'll say, God, help me with this. Help me process this. How does this apply to my life today? And that whole issue of sticking points, they usually become growth points. You might want to write that down in your outline. Sticking points usually become growth points. And when you find yourself stuck on something, don't be afraid of that. But also don't be afraid of the people that God has put into your life. Don't be afraid of their questions. Oh, as a youth pastor, how I would have loved to have had the tools that are available to us today on the World Wide Web. It forced me to build a network of people that I could call upon. Sometimes students would ask me questions, teachers would ask me questions, parents would ask me questions as a youth pastor. And when you're on the campus and you had a, a high school campus ministry at two high schools, you had a university campus ministry at a university, you were always getting questions and always being asked into to places. And people would pose questions to you, and I've told you how I answered those. A lot of times I'd say, I don't know, but I'll do my best to find out. One of the coolest things we ever did was inviting Josh McDowell to come to Valdosta State University, and the place was filled up. And then years later, as my ministry matured, having those same opportunities to go speak on university and graduate campuses and take questions from students, it's those questions that people bring to us that you and I have something available to us that we didn't have in those days. And that's the World Wide Web. And that's Dr. Google. That's places that are apologetically informed. That's people like Adam. Adam, stand up over there. And just, you know, if you ever need a question about creation answered, go to Adam right now. Give Adam a big hand. He just does incredible work in that area. God bless you. They were in the first service, but if you need questions answered on science, go to the plowmans this morning. For all other questions, go to Pastor Rick this morning. You know, he, he's got all the answers there. The Bible says that gray hair is a sign of wisdom, and he's the wisest man I know right now. So just go to him, and we can help each other, but when we get those questions, there are opportunities not only for our friends to grow, but there are opportunities for us to grow. And maybe sometimes you need to understand that your own sticking points are also your own growth points. It's not just your lost friend's growth points. I mean, Jesus said among women, there's never been one born greater than John the Baptist. I mean, we all admire John the Baptist. But even after John the Baptist had declared that Jesus was the Messiah, even after John the Baptist had made the public profession, I'm not worthy to take off his sandals for him. He says, I'm just not worthy of it. John is thrown into prison and his disciples are telling him everything that Jesus is doing. And John, in a period of darkness, in a period of despair, John hits a sticking point. And he sends his disciples to Jesus because you see, he knew, listen to me, listen. Are you listening? John knew, even though I've made my confession, I'm probably going to lose my life. And my very eternity depends upon was I right? Is he the Lamb of God? And that's a question all of us ultimately have to face. 
Ultimately, every one of us in this room are going to have to answer that question. Martin Luther had to answer it as he struggled at the end of his life. Is he really the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world? And Jesus said these words to John's disciples. Go back to John and tell him what you've seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And this answer satisfied John. It was not just the miracles that satisfied John. Miracles are signs. Miracles are wonders. The miracles you testified to in your life this morning when you lifted your hands, they're not only a sign for you of God's love and compassion, but they're an opportunity for you to tell others of God's personal care and involvement in your life. And don't worry about whether people try to pick them apart or believe them. As I told the congregation this morning in the first service, I have had the personal privilege of this past year helping two men who have told me in the past they do not believe in miracles. Two men professionally who said, I do not believe the Bible, who have come to a place in their life where they need a miracle from God, and now they're opening to the gospel and they're opening to hear about Jesus Christ. Somewhere as you do life with people long enough, people are going to need the Lord. And what they need is not just a miracle. They need the good news that we all who are poor in spirit, that Jesus Christ died for our sins and He rose again from the dead and all power in heaven and earth have been given to Him. Somebody say amen this morning. <laughs> Hallelujah. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's just okay to know to have, that you can have questions and you can have sticking points. But as Peter writes again, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always, always be ready to explain it. Read this last sentence with me. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. In other words, you be the person that will listen. You be the person that doesn't interrupt. You be the man that doesn't rush to stop them. That can set down your coffee, set down your paper, set down whatever you're doing, and give them a safe environment, someone safe to talk to. But know that the message is a dangerous message. And when you share the Word of God, faith come by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Somewhere we have to get past the miracle and we have to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? And then your favorite word to hear from me, finally, constantly, constantly offer expressions of God's grace to people. Constantly offer expressions of God's grace to people. I stood in front of my television and I wept this week as I watched a young man say to a young police officer, I forgive you. I wish you no harm. I wish you no ill. I've sat in courtrooms with people who waited, hopefully, a guilty verdict when a loved one has been murdered. 
I've had people get angry at me for expressing love to a murderer or praying for a murderer's family member. I've had those things that have happened that have scarred my memory as a pastor. Things I don't regret having done, but seeing the pure devil come out of some people who named the name of Jesus. But I watched this 18-year-old young man grab his collar as he nervously said, I hope you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. And I saw with my own eyes what I'm saying to you. Offer expressions of grace. And then when I watched a Christian judge leave, and I've never seen this happen, leave the dais and come down and give her own Bible, Mark to John chapter 3 and verse 16, and hug and weep with that very same convicted murderer this week. I stood there and wept and called my entire family. You have to watch this. What an expression of God's love. It doesn't change the guilty verdict. It doesn't change what she did was wrong or anything of that nature. But what it does show is there is grace, there is mercy, there is compassion, and there is ability to turn hatred and bitterness into something that God can use to shock a nation. And let the ACLU make their protests, and let the Atheists United for Separation of Church and State make their protests, that the judge somehow or another broke a rule. Friends, there are times when you have to take risk and you have to live by faith and you offer the goodness of grace it doesn't change what the law says but you offer the compassion and the love of Jesus Christ to those of us who deserve it least and we witness that in America this week it's what Paul meant when he wrote these words live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity I would say to that young man, if I could and if I knew him, at 18 years old, he showed more maturity, wisdom, and discipleship. As it was obvious, he was nervous about what his family would think and what his family would say. As he made that clear from the witness stand, and then asked, could I hug? When's the last time you embraced somebody that was so undeserving of the gospel. I embrace them every week when I stand at the back of this church. You embrace me, and you deserve the most hug the most undeserving person that you know every week. Sometimes we as Christians, we get a little more holier than thou, and we think of ourselves as better than other people. All of us have sinned, and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. There are times... When it's happened to me and it's happened to you, when a family member, a Christian, a business partner, someone that we know has hurt us, they have disappointed us, they have taken something from us that can never be given back, nobody will ever be able to give that family their son and their brother back. I don't know what his condition was, 
when he was shot and killed as he sat on his sofa in his family room. But I do know this. If he trusted in Jesus, that family has the opportunity to be reunited with him in heaven one day forevermore. Who are you going to love this week? And even though they've hurt you or maybe they've not come before, I'm asking you, can we all be alert to the opportunities that God gives us? Would you stand with me this morning? I know I asked you to do this last week, but I'm going to ask you to come again to the front of the church and stand with me here at the altar because I want to pray a prayer of blessing over you for a fullness of the Holy Spirit. So would you come and Mark, would you play that song, Jesus at the center of it all? Just ask if you would pull in close and everybody, just come down to the altar. Don't back up in the aisle so everybody can get down with us close. A few years ago when we were in Orlando for the General Council, most of you will remember this because we sent an urgent prayer request, but this is when Becky was dealing with all the health issues she was doing and, and she had to have the surgery that she had or she would have died. All of her complications were also complicated because of the asthma, the, the ulcers and the abrasions in her lungs and in her esophagus. And we didn't realize it, but Orlando was the worst place for her to be. And we were there for the council, and that was when we began to sing this song, Mark. And when they introduced this song at the general council, I found myself singing it every morning, praying, Jesus be at the center of it all. Our kids had come down for a week's vacation, and we were going to do some fun things together, and suddenly Becky had an asthma attack and almost died before I could get her to the hospital. She was purple. She couldn't breathe. The kids were screaming. They triaged her as they talked to us all the way to the emergency room there in Orlando. And they did such an excellent job. But they triaged her in the parking lot. And pretty soon, I was allowed to go in with her and her breathing was coming back. She was getting normal color. And I realized just how important this song had become to me, running and singing that song. First time I ever thought I was going to lose Becky. And if you were asked me today, I'd still tell you Becky is the center of my life. I love her more than I can begin to describe to you. But I think that day was a day when I really had to come to terms Jesus really is the center of my life. He really is. Everything you and I have is because Christ has given it to us. Nothing is permanent on this earth. One day, either I'll go to heaven or Becky will go to heaven. One day, I may have the pain of knowing what some of you in this altar have known. Either one of my children will go to heaven or I'll go to heaven. One day we're going to experience that which reminds us Jesus is the center of it all. And I've given you four good ways to ratchet up 
to amp up the light and the saltiness of your life. But there is no way that you can be salt and light for Jesus unless Jesus is really the center of your life. There's no way that you can shine the love of Jesus unless the love of Jesus is shining in your heart and you know that you know just like you are. Look at me. Just like you are, God loves you. There's not one thing you've done since Calvary that's made Him love you more. He loves you. He loves you. And there's not one thing that you can do other than say, Jesus, there are times when you're not. And like the hymn writer said, I feel myself prone to wonder. I feel myself prone to leave the God I love. So today, I'm making a commitment right here as we sing this song. I want you to be the center of it all. Well, Lord, we stand here this is our confession of faith and this is our prayer if some of us need to hear it again the blind see the lame walk the deaf hear and the good news is being preached to the poor and the good news is this is that Christ has come Christ has conquered sin death, hell and the grave And you have risen and all authority in heaven and earth have been given to you. And you have said to us as we go, make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you will be with us always. Jesus, you're the center. If you're with us, then we can persuade people to become passionate followers of Christ. So would you ratchet up our saltiness? Lord, would you amp up our brilliance for Christ? Maybe there's a neighbor down the street that just needs an invitation. Their leaves may be raked this year. God, maybe there's a student at school that Lord, needs compassion and grace and someone to believe in them. God, maybe there's someone that you brought to our mind just a few moments ago and we can call them this week and just catch up and trust you to do the rest. Father, last week we looked at four ways we can experience God. We don't just have to talk about you. We can experience you. So now I ask you, as the rain has come down so many times and beat upon this sanctuary while we've worshipped you, as you've awakened me in the night when the rain has fallen upon the roof of our home, I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, come like the latter rain and the former rain together and baptize us again in your Holy Spirit and make us witnesses for Christ and send us out of here in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit of God. It's in Jesus' holy name I pray. 
And everybody that agreed and received said, Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. I hope you have a wonderful afternoon. Hallelujah. Amen.